great to be together here today. Uh, go ahead and be turning your Bibles over to Matthew 2. I wanted to uh, share with you about the, uh, the, how things are going for the Christmas play next week. Hopefully you've been getting tired of hearing so much about this play. Uh, but uh, we really want to, uh, this to be an opportunity to impact our community, and so we're trying to really spread the word. Of course, I forgot the posters at home this morning, uh, so sorry there's no posters. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make up for it by, by selling it right now. I'm just going to sell this play. Uh, are you guys excited about uh, being together this morning? It seems a little, people are a little dull, maybe. Uh, you're not? You're excited? Jackie says people are dull? Yeah, she says they're dull. Everybody, let's just, uh, let's give a huge just shout to the Lord, okay, on, the, on three, because I need some encouragement. I'm really tired. All right, ready? One, two, three. Oh, that's better. Whew. Amen. I'm tired. We've been having a lot of rehearsals for the Christmas play, and uh, I'm playing the part of Joseph, not the actual Joseph, but I am... The nativity scene, Joseph. Because the whole concept of this play is that, hopefully I'm not spoiling too much, but there's statues that come to life. And so I have to be a statue for hours on end, so I have to just be still for a long time. And it, it's, it's tiring for some reason. But it's been great. We had like four rehearsals last week. We got five rehearsals this week. Gina is an amazing director. Uh, or uh, is it direct or is it directress? Direct, directress or direct... I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she is like it's like watching a, a fish in the water like she's just so good at it and um, you know some of us, those of us that are a little bit new to, to acting um, she'll sometimes just go okay well let me just do it real quick and just watch me and then she's just amazing every part she plays from like if she, she'll be a little girl or she'll be like a, a tough security guard or she'll be like you know any part that she's doing and she does so much with her body that just uh, expresses what the character is feeling. It's, she's really amazing. So it's been really cool to watch her work. And uh, it's coming together. Steve is actually playing uh, the security guard, uh, Bane. So he has to be good at, at, at kind of giving gruff looks, which is out of character for him because he's, he's so warm and fuzzy normally. And, uh, but my favorite character in the play, it's actually, he's not actually really in the play. What it is is that... Uh, and I, we're going to get into the lesson here in a minute, don't worry. But um, th- my favorite character in the play is, uh, is actually, uh, there's a, there's the, the scene is at the mall. And so what's happening at the mall is that uh, this, this pop character, Justin Justin, is supposed to be coming and doing a concert. And so um, there's a scene where one of the girls shows uh, her mom a, a video, a, a music video of Justin Justin uh, to kind of, make sure her mom understands how amazing Justin Justin is. And we're not going to be able to show the whole music video in the, in the play. We're just going to show about 30 seconds or 20 seconds. We're, Gene and I are still in negotiation how much of the of what we're going to show. But, uh, but we thought we'll just make a whole music video because if you're going to make 20 seconds, you might as well make a whole you know, two-and-a-half-minute video. So we went ahead and made a music video. And the part of Justin Justin is being played by Dwight Velarde. I don't know where he is. And, um, and so, and, and the, the script called for this, you know, and the script just had a few lines in the, in the, in the, in the notes, you know, in the script for the song. And it, and it had lines like, girl, it's Christmas. Girl, it's Christmas. And I ain't giving you no shiny bling. 
I ain't giving you no piece of string. I ain't giving you no chicken wing or anything because I gave you my heart. I gave you my heart this Christmas. So, um, so we didn't have a song. We just had those words. So I decided to write a song. So I wrote a song on my iPad called My Heart This Christmas that uses those words. And then we made a uh, music video with Dwight singing it. And then we thought, it, it's, it's almost perfect, but what it needs is a rapper. So uh, Vanilla Snow comes in as a rapper at the end. So anyway, I thought you might, might want to see the music video. You want to see the music video? So we'll watch the music video, and then we'll, we'll get into the lesson here. So. It's the next slide there, Sherwin, if you want to roll it. Girl, it's that time of year again. The mistletoe and Christmas trees. It makes me think about how lucky you are to be with me. Listen. It's Christmas. It's Christmas And I'm giving you no Shadow shade I'm giving you no Chicken head I'm giving you no Piece of stress Or anything Cause I gave you girl Gave you all the world But I gave you my heart I gave you my heart and I
All right. Justin, Justin! So, uh, so we're starting a new series today uh, called Dividing Line, and it's about Jesus and uh, how he divides all of human history. And the Christmas play uh, ties into this because kind of what the play is talking about is how um, a, little, a little bit how G- Jesus, the real Jesus, is so kind of out of sync with what uh, kind of our society is doing at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, so much of society, I mean, people, everybody in the world pretty much knows who Jesus is, and yet so few people know who he really is. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so the musical, is uh, the, the Christmas show, is, uh, it's a bit silly, but it's, it's kind of about who Jesus really is. And, and people are kind of clueless in this play about who Jesus really was. But the idea is that as we're going along, we, they kind of discover, oh, this is who Jesus really was. And this is kind of what it's really about. Um, I saw this commentary on Christmas uh, this last week. And uh, it, it really resonated with me because I think th- this guy in this commentary says, I don't know Jesus, but I know that... Christmas does not equal Jesus, and he kind of goes through why. So I want to show you this, uh, this, this clip right now, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into Matthew 2. It's America. We commercialize everything. Look what we did to Christmas. Christmas. Christmas is Jesus' birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. Now, I don't know Jesus. But from what I've read, Jesus is the least materialistic person to ever roam the earth. No bling on Jesus. Jesus kept a low profile, and we turned his birthday into the most materialistic day of the year. Matter of fact, we have the Jesus birthday season. It's a whole season of materialism. Then at the end of the Jesus birthday season, we have the nerve to have an economist come on TV and tell you how horrible the Jesus birthday season was this year. Oh, we had a horrible Jesus' birthday this year. Hopefully business will pick up by his crucifixion. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that that really said it, you know. Um, people don't really know who Jesus really is. And, uh, and, and, and truly, Jesus is the defining line uh, in, in human history. And even, even when you look at the calendar, our calendar is divided, boom, human history, B.C., A.D., you know, it's Jesus' birth. It's this moment, it's this cosmic moment, whether you know it or not, this is the moment where we believe that the creator, the creator of all the universe, that made the universe 15 billion years ago or how many years ago it was and prepared it all up to this point that he would enter creation as a, as a human being. And he didn't choose to enter creation as this mighty emperor or as a superhero. He chose to enter creation as a poor kid born in this obscure little town. And yet still, it's the dividing line of human history. And we're going to be looking at a sign from God that we see in the scriptures in this real interesting story here in Matthew 2 that I believe can be a sign for each one of us, for everyone here, no matter what your background. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into uh, Matthew 2. God, thank you to be able to look into your scriptures just to open your word. It's such a miracle. Uh, I know there's, there, so much went into that, into giving us the Word of God that, that we don't even know and we don't even appreciate sometimes. And thank you that we can look right now into these revealed scriptures. And I pray that you would open our hearts, help us to, 
Just put anything else of our, out of our mind that uh, might be distracting us from the message you want us to receive right now. And uh, I pray that you'd speak through me and speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 2, the, the context is there's an evil king, King Herod. And uh, even, even other sources besides the Bible confirm that this guy was no good. He was, he was shady. He was, uh, he was greedy. He, he uh, used people. And uh, so he hears the, the, these guys come from another country, and they're, they're looking for this king. And so that threatens him. And so what, what he does is he orders that all children to and under be killed from this town because he doesn't want a, a king coming in that's going to threaten him. So it's a horrible, I mean, imagine being in that scenario. It's a horrible scenario. So that's what we're looking at here in in, uh, Matthew 2. It says in verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where's the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. So right there is an Old Testament uh, quote from the book of Micah that's a prophecy that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. So King Herod's like, okay, well, where is this king supposed to be? He asked the wise men, he asked the scholars, they say, well, it's supposed to be Bethlehem. And so they go, uh, he, he calls the Magi. These are these wise men that come from the east. We don't know that much about them. Some people think they were Zoroastrians. We just know that they're following the star. We don't even know that there's three. We just know that they had three gifts. Uh, so in Eastern Orthodox Church, they, they have 12 wise men. You know, uh, in our side of the, of, of the world, we have three, but the Bible doesn't say. It just says there was three gifts. In our play, the wise men are really stupid. These are not the real wise men. These are the nativity scene wise men. Uh, they're a little bit like the three stooges. So you have that to look forward to there. Okay, so it says uh, in verse 7, the Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them and still, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So it's this story we're all familiar with. You know, almost everyone probably here is familiar with the star that they're following. And the star stops over the place where he is. And uh, there's different commentaries and scientific explanations for what the star was. Some say it was not actually a star, but it was an angel that they were following. Um, Some say that, you know, in this time between... Uh, 4 and 6 BC, there was this uh, Jupiter and Saturn came together. Or some say it was a comet. There's different scientific explanations. We're not going to really talk about that today, but what I want to talk about is, is the, sign, the spiritual sign that that star represents. 
for you and me. That that star stopped. It, it, it marked this is a dividing line in history. And it stopped right there over that place, this obscure place. In a time where there had been no prophecy for 400 years, suddenly, boom, the star stops over what's happening. It was a dividing line in history. For us, you know, in our lifetimes, there, there have been different dividing lines for us. You know, there are some here that might remember the exact place they were when they heard JFK had been killed. I know for myself, I remember being a kid, and I remember being in class in fifth grade when the shuttle, you know, the shuttle uh, blew up. I remember that moment. All of us here probably remember exactly where we were when 9-11 happened. I remember sitting in my living room. I remember watching that TV screen. and just It was just like the world is moving in slow motion right now. So we have these dividing lines in, in, in history. I mean, there, there are other things like I remember, uh, I remember that time when my wife went away on a retreat and my son and I watched Star Wars for the first time. It was a dividing line in his life. You know, it's like, I, son, this was mine. Now I pass it along to you. Uh, you know, uh, but, but I'm sharing these things because Jesus is meant to be a dividing line in your life. That, that Jesus is not supposed to be a casual thing. And I'm concerned about the casualness of Jesus in our world. And, and in, the, in the American version of Christianity, people's lives don't change. And yet it's, Jesus is meant to be before Jesus and after Jesus, B.C. and A.D. in our lives. He should be, it should be, this is the place, the star stopped. And everything after that point was different. And, and not only does the star stop, what happens next? That's where they go and they bow down and worship him. You know, I think there's a lot of people in our world who, they, maybe they've seen the star, but they've not bowed down. They've not surrendered. They've not made him Lord of their lives. And where there is no dividing line, there's no power. There's no testimony. There's no true surrender of Christ. There's no real power. The Bible talks about having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I know what that's like because that was me at one point. You know, I grew up in church. I knew the stories. Uh, I, I knew about the, I'd seen the star, but I hadn't yet made him Lord of my life. And I remember coming to that realization, you know, I have never made this decision to, to make him Lord. I've never given up everything. I'm still trying to hang on to my life. I'm still trying to kind of walk the fence. I'm trying to be cool at school. I'm trying to, you know, not, not, I'm trying to fit in, but also follow Jesus. I'm trying to kind of have it all, and I've got to make a decision. No, Jesus is Lord. I don't care what it means in my life. I don't care if I give up my life. And Jesus said that if you in, in, in Luke 14, he says that if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower, you must give up everything. Luke 14, 33. And, and I don't think he's saying that it, this is so that I'll accept you or this is so I'll love you. We're saved by God's amazing grace, but it's because of what he did that he demands our, our full attention. That he demands our full commitment. It, it's a full surrender. It's like, uh, it's like marriage. You know, I remember that moment that I said, I do. I will, in sickness, in health, in plenty. And, you know, I'm making this decision that she is my one and only till death do us part. I remember when I made that decision, and it was a total commitment decision. And everything was different after that point in time. Uh, you know, I thought marriage would be one way, and it was even better. It was awesome. 
Marriage has been great. We're about to celebrate 22 years in March of marriage. And everything was different. You know, after we had kids, everything was different. It was a dividing line, and that's how Jesus should be in our life. You know, I want to ask you, in your own heart, have you crossed the dividing line? Is there, is there, can you look at your past before Jesus? Can you look at your future with Jesus? Have you crossed that dividing line? And, and this can go either one of two ways. You know, the rest of what I'm going to share is you can hear what I'm going to say as an accusation or you can hear it as an invitation. That Jesus wants you to be his follower. He wants you to give up everything and follow him. He wants there to be a dividing line in your life where you say everything changes from this point forward. He didn't bring you this far to condemn you. Jesus doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be with him. And yet so many choose to reject him. And yet that's not his heart. He wants, he came, the Bible says he came full of grace and truth. And when you see Jesus, you see God. He came to show us the Father's glory. Have you had a clear encounter with Christ where not only you saw the star, but you bowed the knee? And are you staying there worshiping Jesus? Uh, Let's look at Luke 23. Because what began in Matthew 2 was finished in Luke 23. Luke 23. Let's read in verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered witnessed this sight, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood there at a distance watching these things. You know, it's interesting that Matthew 2 records that the sun stopped over the place where he lay. Here the scripture describes that the sun stopped shining at the moment of his death. The star stopped over the place of his birth. The sun stopped shining over the place of his death. This was an amazing thing that was happening in human history right at this point. That the creator of the world came to his creation as a man. And then he took on himself the price of our sin. That everything that you've ever done... That goes against God, Jesus was taking at that moment and paying the price for your sin. And so it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain was, was something that was meant to separate God from, from the people so they weren't destroyed by his holiness. Because God was so pure, so holy, you couldn't approach him or you'd be killed. And, th- and that curtain, it was torn in two. Again, it's another symbol that Jesus himself is the dividing line. He himself opened the way for you and I to be made right with God. For, us to, for, for God to be able to come near to us, and for us to be able to come near to Him. If He stopped the star for the astrologers in the east, 
so they could worship him. Couldn't it be possible that he created this moment for you? That he's been leading you up to this point for you to be able to say, okay, now is the time. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to become his follower. Because it's not about what you need to do. It's about what he has already done on the cross. Jesus shouted a message from the cross. It is finished. And so it's just up to you and me to respond. Look at uh, Acts 2. And we'll see a response here to, to what just occurred. Acts chapter 2. What the, star, what the star began, the cross finished. And so our search is over. Our search is over. It says in verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, Peter was preaching this sermon. He was saying, there is a dividing line here. This is the moment that all of human history has been leading up to. All of the prophets spoke about this time. That God himself would come near and that he would take the price of our sin. And so he says, God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. And so it demanded a response from them. And, And our natural, our normal response is to feel guilty. Or to feel ashamed. Or to feel like, oh, here's what I'm not doing, and here's what I should be doing. And, and you know, to, to feel so, like, like Peter, when he first really encountered who Jesus was, he says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And yet, when we understand who Jesus really was, we're drawn to him, and we realize that, it's, again, it's not about us and what we didn't do and what we should do. God knows what you've done. He knows your past. He knows your future, and he wants your heart. He wants your surrender. The star has stopped And he wants you to bow down and give all you have to worship him. And so Peter's answer is you need to repent. Repentance, we think of as a negative thing. You know, because it's the English translation, repent, it's it's the same kind of similar to penance. Like I've got to do something. The actual Greek here, the the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word for repent is, or repentance is metanoia. Which means meta is uh, change, it's transformation. And noia is your worldview. You're, you're, you know, we all know paranoid, right? Paranoid, mean, para means off to the side, and noia is how you view things. So paranoia is, you're kind of you're tweaked in everything you see or view, right? Metanoia is, I see everything differently. Everything changes right now. My whole worldview is different. What was important to me before is not important now. What I put so much effort into, I realize it's just garbage. Paul says it's just rubbish. All this stuff I worked so hard for, it's just rubbish. It's meaningless. And yet what I didn't value, it has all value. So there's this total worldview change. And Peter says, what do we, how do we respond to this Christ? How do we respond to Jesus? Peter says, repent. Have a change of worldview. 
So this is something we can, uh, God grants repentance, but God, if you want it, if you want to really change, if you want to repent, God will grant you repentance. If you're really repentant, if you never chin a better worldview, and he says, and be baptized, and what baptism is, it's a participation in what Jesus did for us. That just like he died on the cross, was buried, and raised from the dead, we, we go into the water, our old self is crucified with him, Paul says in, in Romans 6, and our new, we're born again, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There is a dividing line before and after. The Bible describes us as being born again. You know, we've heard that term maybe uh, growing up, and it's kind of thrown around as a religious term, but what does it mean? It means there's a dividing line. I started over. All of my sins were washed away. Peter says here, you get the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All your sins are forgotten, and now you have the Holy Spirit to guide you. And this promise isn't just for you who I'm talking to. It's all who are far off. It's all who the Lord our God will call. Is God calling you today? Is God calling someone you love today to cross that dividing line? We're going to be uh, talking about this over the next two weeks in, in our we're meeting in house churches next Sunday morning, and we're going to be looking at Colossians' view of it. Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but I want to put it on the screen. And then we're going to hear a personal, personal story. But, but uh, I, I want to really repent. Is this Lord of my life? Right now, everybody's going to say a prayer. And then if you say this prayer with me, that's it. You just crossed over the dividing line. But that's not what we see in the Bible. If you see someone become a disciple, they're, they're walking with somebody. And they talk about their life, and then they're baptized right then. They're baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. So that's what we do in our church. We get together, we talk, and then people get baptized. So it's a little different than a lot of churches, but that's because we're trying to do it the way Jesus said, and the way Peter just laid out there. So I want to invite you, you know, if, if you've never really done this, talk to somebody here. We love to study the Bible with people. When we say study the Bible, it's not like you study for a test. It just means you open the Bible and you talk about it. Let's just talk about, I'm going to talk about my life, give you the opportunity to talk about your life, and then just kind of coach you through this decision that you make Jesus Lord of your life, and there's a dividing line. And we love to share our story. And in a second, Matt and Tish are going to share their story, how they crossed the dividing line. And there's something about a story, uh, a modern story that helps us to kind of connect and go, okay, I see what what scriptures are talking about. But I want to invite you to do that, and we're going to be meeting in house churches next Sunday, and there's a lot of people who have been finding us on the web, so I'd like us to put, uh, put on our website everywhere our house churches are meeting next Sunday. So in our leaders meeting, those of you who are leaders after this, if you can uh, make sure you let us know where and when you're meeting for house church next week. Uh, but I'd love to have some of those people who have been finding us on the web come to our house churches next week. And we're going to talk about this scripture right here that we're going to look at. And then two weeks from, tona- from tona- uh, today, we'll be meeting back at Maricosta for church, and we'll finish out our dividing line story. And I'll share a little bit more about my conversion, and, uh, and we'll, we'll close out the series. But I want to read the scripture, and then Matt and Tish are going to come up. Just think about these words. These words are amazing when it comes to this idea of a dividing line. Paul is writing to the Colossians here, and he says, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, there's, a divi- there's meant to be a dividing line. I once was in the kingdom of darkness, and I've been transferred into the kingdom of his son. 
And those of you who've been disciples a long time, you know, you, you remember this. You remember crossing that dividing line. You remember making Jesus Lord. You remember the moment of your baptism. And yet what can happen sometimes, and the reason Paul is reminding the Colossians is we can forget that oh, I'm now in the kingdom of his son, and we can kind of start looking back at that kingdom of darkness again, maybe even being, a, a, being appealed to by it. And we've got to remember, no, no, I'm in this kingdom over here now. I've been transferred. I have a different Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's my king. He's who I bow down to. And we've got to make that decision every day, don't we? Okay, Jesus is Lord. We say it when we're baptized, but every day we've got to make that decision. You know, get up in the morning, the alarm goes off, I need to, I need to study the Bible, I need to pray, I need to, I need to do what's right. Jesus is Lord. We've got to kind of tell ourselves that again. We've got to continually make that decision. I've got to repent and make Jesus Lord again today. Every day is new. We've got to do that again. And, and why? Because he purchased our freedom. He gave us forgiveness of sins, verse 14. He has already paid the price. So all we've got to do is persevere and follow him, and, and, uh, and we'll make it to the end. Verse 21, skipping down a little bit. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's true of every person here. Even if you were a religious person like me, or you were a vile sinner, you know, I mean, I was a vile sinner too, but, you know, how the world looks at you, no matter where you were, we were all enemies of God. And so if you're, you know, if you're new to this fellowship, don't look around and think, oh, these are a bunch of people who can't relate to me. Believe me, we're all a mess. We were all separated from God by our evil thoughts and actions. And yet, verse 22, yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence. Remember, the curtain of the temple was what? Torn in two. And now we're in God's presence. When we come together and worship, God's presence is here. Jesus says, wherever two or more gather in my name, there I am with you. It's sacred. It's holy. It's God's presence. You are holy and blameless. Do you feel holy and blameless? My default is I don't. You know, I don't feel holy and blameless. And yet, when you understand Jesus, when you understand the cross, when you understand what he's done for us, you realize, look at, look at what the Bible says. We've got to claim this verse. That God sees us holy, blameless, as you stand before him without a single fault. Can you believe that? Is that not a miracle? That God sees us without a single fault? And, and, and so what, what Satan does, for those who are members of the church who've been around a while, you know, Satan is the accuser. And so, you know, someone who's not right with God, a lot of times he'll try to kind of make them think that they are right with God because then they don't change. But then after you become right with God, sometimes Satan will try to make you feel like you're not right with God all the time, so you'll quit. Because he knows if you surrender to him and you persevere, you're going to make it. So all he can do, he can't, he can't take away your salvation, he can just get you to quit. And so he's going to constantly accuse you and accuse you. I'm, I, I can't keep doing this or I'm no good. or God can't forgive me again. Or, and yet the Bible says here, holy and blameless because of the blood of Jesus. We've got to claim that verse and believe that verse. 